Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. In this episode, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Michelle Borba to the podcast. Dr. Borba is an internationally recognized educator who has spoken to over 1 million parents and educators. She's recognized for her solution-based strategies on raising resilient kids and has appeared over 150 times on the Today Show and featured in New York Times, Washington Post, Time, and Dateline. Her most recent book, Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine, should be on the bookshelf of every parent's home. When I'm asked what I wish for my boys as they grow up and go out into the world, I often say I want them to be happy and I want them to thrive. But what does it really mean to thrive? Dr. Borba provides that answer, as well as the seven teachable skills that set happy, healthy, high-performing kids apart. There's so much to unpack here, so let's get started. Hi, Dr. Borba. Thank you so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. Oh, Betsy, I've been looking so forward to this. Thanks for the invitation. Well, as I told you before the interview, um, and listeners, you're going to want to buy this book if you don't have it already. But I read Dr. Borba's book called Thrivers and knew I had to talk to her. And if you have not read this book, run, don't walk, run to your local bookstore and buy it. Because Look, as parents, when you ask parents what they want for their kids, most of them will say, I want them to be happy and I want them to thrive. But I don't know that anybody really knows how to define that and what that means and how to get there. And before we get into that, I would love it if you would just take a minute or two and introduce yourself to my audience. Oh, I, well, I'm Michelle Borba. I'm from, I'm calling in from California. <laughs> I'm a former special education teacher, but I've had this incredible opportunity to, when I got my doctorate, to speak all over the world. And I have just discovered that no matter where you are, families always have one concern, and that is how do we make our kids be the best they can be, particularly now, Betsy, in a mm. very uncertain world. And I think we're at an unprecedented moment when we have to redefine what we need for our kids to be able to get out there and thrive without us someday. Yeah. Yeah. And I love your approach to this book. There's so much data behind it, so many interviews, and you talked to the kids and I call them kids, but you know, teens, young adults. And for me, I think that spoke volumes literally and figuratively because hearing it from the mouths of these kids, and I have some quotes that I pulled from the book because they really kind of left me speechless. You know, they're the running on empty generation. They feel like they're college ready, but not human ready. They're being raised to be products. So they all feel empty. I I just, that kind of stuff really just breaks my heart as I'm sure it it did yours when you heard it. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Like what made you first want to write this book? Well, you just said that, but also like this approach to it. Well, what happened along the way is that I've been in education forever, and I began to see a change, maybe a flip that was really concerning about 10 years ago. And that is we started to see this one in five American kids was going to suffer from some kind of a mental health disorder. 
one in five, that's just unheard of to me. So the next thing, as I said, is this true? I began to just devour every single stat that was out there from the best and the best. We're talking from the CDC, the American Medical Association, American Psychological Association. They all confirmed, yes, we do have a problem and it's just getting worse. So the next thing is what's causing it. I decided, sure, I'd interview the experts, but I also wanted to interview the real experts, the kids. Uh, counselors gave me access to 100 of the most incredible teens from coast to coast, a very diverse group. Uh, I spoke to each one of them for at least an hour, one-on-one, and they were miraculous in that when they knew that they were going to be listened to, that I wasn't judging anything they said, I was going to change their names, (laughs) tell me what you think. They were the ones that began to tell me, yeah, we do have a problem. We are loved by our parents. Oh my gosh, we're really well-educated, but we're failing to get, I think what we really need, said one kid, and that is how to be the good human. Uh, The skills that we need are going to be different than the ones our parents had. And we need to be, what one kid said, more resilient. And uh, we are the most stressed out generation. Every kid said, you know, we are the most stressed out. So what should you do about it? Don't you think you should be concerned? I said, I'm concerned. You tell me. And what happened was once I realized there was a problem, I started looking at, okay, let's look at the teachable stuff that isn't hardwired into DNA that we really can do that doesn't cost another dime, a program or a tutor that we can weave into our parenting. And teachers can also use in their uh, in their teaching classes and really raise up a stronger generation of kids. That's what the book Thrivers is. And I love that you said that right off the bat in the book, because that gave me hope that character strength can be taught, yeah. that you're not born with it. And that if you have teenagers or even young adults, it's not too late. There's still time to help them get there, which is so great. Do you think part of the the challenges that our kids are facing is unrealistic expectations yeah. from parents, from society? Yeah. yeah. I what I when I began to see that there was a problem, the first thing was that we always want to point, so what's causing it? What's the blame? And I began to see it wasn't one thing, but there was a real change in our culture. And I think the first thing is we need to recognize that as parents. The first thing is our children, our children's childhoods are dramatically different from ours. Play has been removed. Recess is being cut from many schools. Our kids are very, as they would say, overscheduled. And I said, what are your hobbies? They looked at me dumbfounded. Who's got time for a hobby? The next thing along the way is they're plugged in. Don't go blaming the smartphone is all the problem because digital is part of our kids' world. But we need to port the balance because many kids said we don't know how to read each other. As one kid said, our counselor is bringing a guide dog to school. Can you imagine? High school kids with a guide dog so we can figure out how to read our friends because we look down, we don't look up, and we don't know how to read each other. It's also a far more pressurized world. Uh, the test scores someplace along the line, we, we began to look at the kid as the no child left untested phase came in, and they got so concerned. But as many of the kids also said, it seems like we're being raised as a test score and we just want to be seen as who we really are too, which is another concern. It's not one thing. Then came the pandemic, which just shows you it really is a different world. And we just need to uh, push reset and say, okay, if it is different, 
what do we, what can we do about it? And that's what the book Thrivers is going to do. Simple things that will make a difference, according to the best researchers in the world. I think one thing, Betsy, is we we fail to get really the science-driven parenting manual that says, here's the things that, that do make a difference on our kids' lives. Yeah, I, I'm a big science nerd. I think people know that about me. And I've said this before. I love the data. I'm fascinated by it. Um, and you talk in the book about the difference between strivers and thrivers and how we can turn strivers into thrivers. And that's science-based, right? It is. It is really science-based. I, I started looking at, first of all, some extraordinary work on resilience that it's not a program, but it's really proven. I, I was fascinated with longitudinal studies by Emmy Warner and Mastin, Norm Gormese. I mean, there's some really extraordinary researchers that aren't getting the, the hallmarks and the credit that they need. And they've been studying kids growing up in extreme adverse environments. We're talking war zones, poverty, sexual abuse. And they studied them not for one year, but for 40 years. And what they found is halfway through it, they were blown away because for some reason, some kids were making it despite the abuse. Now, there's the good news, despite the abuse. Once I started looking at those studies, I got a whole ramp of post-its and just covered my desk looking at what's the commonality of this study, this study, this study, this study that's teachable. And that's how the whole book came to be. It was looking at the things that parents can do that make a difference, that science says does make a difference. A thriver is a kid who I discovered one of the strongest commonalities. They have agency, personal agency. They feel like I've got it. Not mommy's going to do it for me. Of course, a two-year-old mommy's going to help me. But along the way, as our kids get older and older, I think we've been kind of helicoptering them and programming a little too much. And the kids are beginning to think that they're worried that we're not making uh, their expectations or they don't want to disappoint us. But in the end, a thriver is a kid who really feels like I've got the skills. So when push comes to shove and I face the challenge, which all kids will, this is a kid who keeps on going. Now, a striver is a kid is a little different. Oh, they want so desperately to keep on going. But when they hit the adversity, very often they don't have the skill set to help them keep going the whole nine yards. And so too often they wave the white flag when that thriver keeps on going because they've developed those skills and it isn't a one-time process, Betsy. It's not a one lesson. This is a journey as a parent that we see, here's the skill sets. I'll give you all the skills you need. You can take a moment and you can look, which ones do my kids need? And then dig in because a skill like that is never learned in a one night. Okay, we're going to talk about resilience at six o'clock, but ongoing until your kid can finally internalize it. And that apparently is the greatest aha moment for a thriver. I got this. As a parent of two teens, I am, I call myself a recovering overparenter because I, I, I have my kids whole life. I've done way too much helping and not enough encouraging to figure it out, fail and move on, you know, try again, that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think we're seeing it now. You know, my kids are not in college yet, but I'm hearing it over and over again from parents that failure to thrive or failure to launch, as a lot of people call it, because they get there and 
yeah, they're lost. They don't have these skills. Betsy, I think the key aha moment that I think all of us need to buy into was uh, I was addressing 2,500 college counselors from Ivy League schools across the U.S. Phenomenal. I mean, the best in the best. And all of them were telling me that they were seeing a change. This is prior to the pandemic, a change in the American team. They said they're very smart. You're doing something really well. They're 4.0s or 7.3s. Their SAT scores are in the ozone layer. And they get here. Congratulations. But they don't stay here. The Mm -hmm. average American kid is now going to drop out of college the end of freshman year, first semester. When I look at that, Harvard medical director said they don't have the coping skills. And so many of the skill, uh, many of the colleges across the U.S., from Tufts to Yale to UPenn to um, Stanford, is now doing a one-week crash course immediately when you get to school. This is your your freshman orientation, seven days on resilience training. I'm going, oh my gosh, how do you cram that all in? But they're so worried that the kids don't have the skills that I said, okay, then let's take those skills that we know are necessary, that colleges are teaching the kids, and let's start teaching them at starting at age two and keep on weaving them way through. So by the time we say, bye-bye, sweetie pie, they can wave back and say, mom, I got this and life is great. Let's teach them sooner than later. That's genius. And I wish it was happening in schools but across America, but we know it's not. So let's start talking yeah. about it because this is this is such good stuff. And parents don't feel like you need to have a pen. You can always, you know, hit rewind or whatever and play it back. Let's start talking about these things. And what I love about the way you broke it out in the book was you defined it, what it is, why it's hard to teach, but how you can teach it. So don't lose hope, parents. You can teach this. And it's never too late for us either, Betsy. We can do this too. So, And here's the best thing. You can go through this whole book and figure out which skills do you need because the best way to teach your kid a skill isn't by you now, sweetie pie. Here's the lecture on resilience. Instead, show them. So if you're working on it, let's all do this together. Find some other like-minded parents who can also help weave it in. Get grandparents involved. There's no excuse. We got this. So let's do it. Okay, Betsy, go. (laughs) Great idea. I'm a work in progress. I can use the help. All right, number one, self-confidence. And I I, I think I'm guessing number one is number one for a reason because it feels like it's very foundational to a lot of the stuff. It is. It's a found, it is the first one, and it was all the teens who confirmed it. Unless we believe in ourselves and we know who we are, how the heck are we going to keep on going? And one of the kids said this, oh gosh, that's the problem. I said, what's the problem? Well, we're being raised by not who we are, but what our parents want us to be. And we can't be that. So figure out who we are, who your kid is, and that's how we're going to shine. I went, oh, amen, amen. So there's step one. Take a three by five card and just walk around the house and look at your kid a little more without them knowing you're watching them. But what do they gravitate towards? What interests them? What brings them joy besides Fortnite? What are some other things that really get them excited? And it could be woodworking or knitting or books or Natalie, age 14. She said, it's Mozart. I said, you're kidding me. How'd you get into Mozart? She said, I get really stressed. So I downloaded a whole bunch of music and I discovered I'm really musical. I didn't know that, but Mozart really soothes me. And I'm going, oh my gosh, Natalie, how great is that? She goes, yeah, I just listened to Mozart. 
Betsy. I asked her, okay, so what happens when you do something really good? She says, oh, I got that covered. It's Elton John. I crack up. I'm still standing and I'm still pacing around the house. (laughs) How cool is that? But she knows who she is. She knows she needs music. Do all kids? Absolutely not. Another kid said books. Books? I said, how'd you figure out which book? She said, Agatha Christie. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. Oh, my Why gosh. Agatha Christie? She says, well, it was a pandemic. I ran out of books. My mother had a whole bunch of them. I picked one up. She said, you know, they're really good. But books, I can forget who I am by all of the problems. I get into them, and I realize I'm a reader. So maybe it's just figuring out what helps your kid decompress. You've got 50,000 activities lined up for your teen. Maybe look at the list and go, what do you need to cut? And what can you carve in instead? You know that the average, most talented American kid, age 13, gives up their talent, their true talent, because they don't have enough time to develop it. So that is, that's University of Chicago. There's so many little mind-boggling things that break your heart because that isn't what we want. We love our kids dearly and we want them to be successful. But if you want a happy kid, Betsy, the clearest way to raise a happy kid who's got a sense of purpose is find out what drives them, what motivates them. One dad told me, he's got a middle school kid. He said, drive me crazy. All he does is talk about wolf. Wolf, what kid talks about wolf? So I finally had my enough moment. I decided I was going to arrange a meeting with a park ranger so my kid could talk about wolves. I sat there with my mouth open. I had no idea how much my kid knew about wolves. He was politely correcting the park ranger. And that was my moment to say, forget law. This kid is into biology. And it was, that was the moment to figure out who my child was. It doesn't mean it's going to help them be the most successful in the world, but it's going to help them love themselves. And that's the foundation of real self-confidence. Oh, I love those stories. I love this. All right. So... Next up, number two, empathy. Empathy. Here's the piece that's fascinating about thrivers and empathy. When we look at all that work on resilience, we discover that thrivers have social competence. They know how to attract others or at least find others who are like-minded with them. It does not mean your kid has to be the most popular and have 50,000 friends, but they do need, particularly in a world where they've been physical distance for 15 months, know how to just segue in and might disconnect with others. Empathy is feeling with another person, but the gateway towards that is at least knowing how to connect with one another. And I think that's the first piece that many teens are saying that they're really anxious about getting back to school. They're scared because they haven't been practicing their empathy muscles. And there's just some three simple things you can do at home. The three skills that are the most highly correlated to kids who get along with others are so simple. First of all, model them with your kid or you do it yourself. The first one is they say hello or they wave. They smile, but you can't smile with a mask. So just say, hi, how are you? When you're going out shopping, you're doing anything else or remind your kid, that's beginning. Second of all, if you want your kid to be able to say no and mean it, use eye contact. 
Always look at the color of the talker's eyes. If you say no and you're looking down, it's going to go over with a lead balloon. But if you look up, we now know it's the first step to assertiveness and it'll help your kid connect. If your child is an introvert, tell him to look right at the bridge of the kid's nose. He'll never know the difference. But it helps your kid be able to be taken seriously. The third thing that's fascinating is they encourage one another. So get out the old chess, you know, chess games or whatever, you know, shoots and ladders if you got little ones and teach them to, uh, yeah, we're going to follow the rules, but you have to encourage dad or mom or grandma at least two or three times, just like good sports players do. Those are so simple. Those are the beginning stages, and then they'll be able to get their their feet on the ground and get in a little more. Service projects are absolutely fabulous, but too often what we do for teens is we suggest the ones that we think will look good on the resume for college. But the best one is a 16-year-old who said, okay, my mom is really sneaky. I said, okay, good for her. What'd she do? She said, well, she wanted me to get into service. And uh, I I didn't want to because I was really into this girl. So what she did that was sneaky, she bonded with my girl's friend's mother she and the girl and the mother all got together and said that they wanted to think it would be a great idea to do a service project at a homeless shelter. How am I going to turn that down because <laughs> with my girlfriend? All four of us did it. You know what? My mom chose the best thing. She knew that I was going to like that darn shelter. And as a result, I didn't have an excuse. I learned to love it. I went away, by the way, to college a couple of years later. I love my mom even more. You know what she's doing, Dr. Borwa? I said, what? She says, she's still working at that homeless shelter. <laughs> that oh, kind of a thing. Nice. Find what drives your child is the key. Go that way. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Okay, number three. Self-control. This is a good one. Every single teen said that's number one on the list. But here's what the teen said we're doing wrong. They said, you got to give us a repertoire of stuff that helps us chill out. You know, that mindfulness works for some kids and meditation works for others. But give us stuff that we could practice on our own. And then would you keep in mind that you don't learn this stuff in a textbook? You got to keep practicing and practicing and practicing until we can do it without the parent. I mean, that's like textbook classically perfect. So the key is give your child right now, particularly now. I mean, this is like every kid's stress level is up and it will continue to go up into anxiety and depression unless they learn a way to keep it down. First thing is, Teach them what their stress signs are. Not time out, but have you noticed that right before the time test or right before you go to that practice that you your hands go into a fist or your palms get sweaty? Start pointing out kids' stress signs. And then the second thing is maybe give them a repertoire of things like that teen said. 
Yoga seems to work for some kids. There's fabulous mindfulness apps you can now put on a phone. Uh, maybe you can do a Zoom group of kids, three or four, that all practice the same thing together. So it's not you, but it's them. Uh, it's it's really finding something that helps kids cope because that that study from, it's called College of the Overwhelmed, said they get there and they don't know how to handle the stress. And that's what help, That's what's making them tank. Give them something that they can do without you and keep practicing it until it becomes internalized. Thrivers has dozens of ideas. Don't try them all or your kid will never let you need to read another book again. But find one that you think will work for your kid and maybe do it as a family or, you know, whatever your child says seems to be working for me then keep practicing and practicing and encouraging it. For boys, it could be exercise. Even a 20-minute nature walk just came out from science as one of the best things that you could do. And we've been hunkering our kids down. Maybe it's open the door and let them see leaves out there in the real world. Whatever resonates with the child is what's key. Great ideas. And yeah, I mean, we're seeing it in mental health, high school through college, you know, the the rates of depression and anxiety yeah. and suicidal tendencies are just skyrocketing. So great advice. And to your point, for anybody, any age, um, parents as well. Okay. Number four, integrity. I love this one. I love it. And you know what? It doesn't come up a lot on resilience work. But when I found it a couple of times in studies, I went, this is the overlooked one, particularly for teens, because one challenge that hits a teen is peer pressure. And now who's going to waver and waver or who's the kid who's going, I got this, I got it through. You have to know what you stand for before the challenge comes. And uh, one of the best ideas came from this one. I love this kid. Her name was Mia Dunn. And all the high school teachers in Tampa said, would you go interview that kid and find out how she became a kid with such strong integrity? Just find out what the heck happened to her. So I said, Mia, every teacher wants to know how you develop this moral code. She laughed and she said, I remember what happened. And my parents did it when I was six. And my two younger brothers were like four and two. They called us into the family room. There was this chart paper all over the floor and marking pens. My dad said, have a seat. We're going to figure out who we are as a family. I went, really? She said, yeah. So what What did you do? She said, my dad said, we're just going to come up with words that we want people to describe us with. And then you can come up with anything you want. Mom's going to write them all down. And then when, when we're done out of space, we're going to vote on which word we think matters most to us. So mom kept writing and writing and writing like trustworthy and kind and honest and respectful, you know, 50,000 until mom ran out of words and dad said, okay, we vote. And we all came up with, honest. That was the one that we chose. It doesn't make any difference what you choose, but it was honest. I said, so how did you remember that? She said, well, our last name is Dunn. So we became the honest Dunn's. I went, well, that's pretty easy, but how'd you remember it, Mia? She said, it was impossible not to. My mother must have said it 50 times a day. She dropped us off at school. Remember, we're the honest duns. When we do something wrong, was that an honest done thing to do? We'd be watching a movie. Oh, you know, Dunkirk came up. Those guys were honest duns. My parents <laughs> said it so much, we became it. I love that. So there's lots of other ways in that chapter to develop integrity. But I, the first thing is figure out what you stand for, because you'll be able to weave it in. And then when push comes to shove, Mia would be the one who goes, I'm an honest dun. Uh-uh. <laughs> I got that one. Sorry, guys. And walk on, because it was so embedded in her. 
Yeah, that's such an important message for teens to understand who you are and who you want to be. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's great. Love it. Love it. Okay. Number five, I have to be honest, I think is my favorite because it's a yeah. big thing for me. And I've, yeah. I've pushed this with my kids all along, but curiosity. I love curiosity. And it's a huge one for me too. I think the first thing is I was blown away with how fast creativity is nosediving in American kids. And one of the reasons is that we are so set in stone of what the answer is. So they're afraid to think outside the box. And that's a tragedy to thriving. So what do you do on that one? You realize that thrivers, when they're faced with a challenge, don't give up because they go, I got this. I'll figure out a way around it or through it. They're problem solvers. And the way you become a problem solver is by having opportunities to problem solve. So step one, that's real easy. The next time your kid comes up with a problem or comes running home upset, sit him down and do not solve the problem for him. Just say, thank you for saying it. Now let's brainstorm what else you could have done instead. There's no problem so great that can't be solved. Failure is an option in this house. It's all a matter of what you do next time. So don't you worry about it. And when you, when a child begins to start storming his brain, there's a lot of strategies in chapter five, but I think that one of sparking your brain and realizing it's in there, you just got to keep working it through. For some kids who go, how much longer do I have to do this? I swear the best thing you can do is get a sand dial or mm. set the kids app for 30 seconds, just 30 seconds. How many other ways can you figure out how to solve it? Then when the timer goes off, cross off anything that's not safe, wise, or responsible, or isn't part of our family mantra. And if you've already got that family mantra, are you an honest dumb? Then cross that one off if it's not honest you'll be able to see that these traits actually begin to what I call have a multiplier effect. You, you, you always wonder, every parent asks me, which of these are most important? Start with one. I'd say start with confidence so your kid has a foundation. Then keep adding only one at a time. But what I discover is that you add any two together each one multiplies the other and it makes them into superpowers. So it makes the next one and the next one easier and easier to teach. It's a rare kid who has seven. So don't go worrying about that. But your goal is to teach maybe two or three that your kid needs to get over the hump. And then you can always add those rest of them later on. But I love curiosity and problem solving. Me too. Me too. Okay. So the next one, I see kids struggle with a lot. Yeah. Um, perseverance. So let's talk about that and how to help them with that. Perseverance is a kid who doesn't give up and doesn't need a gold star and a citizen of the month award in order to do it. In fact, watch out because all those rewards actually diminish curiosity and can diminish perseverance. Research is too mind boggling on this. Carol Dweck stuff is just from Stanford. Um, unbelievable. When she looked at kids, all have the gifted and talented IQs. I mean, in the ozone layer. But she saw something profound in, they were all in algebra and they all started out at the same level. And they all had exactly the same course, two different teachers, but exact same content. But for in a very short amount of time, one class was exceeding and excelling over the other. What was the difference? Didn't have anything to do with the course. It was the teacher and what she was reinforcing. Teacher who was having the kid go down in their achievement kept reinforcing how many did you get? What did you get? Was that 100%? Did you get the A? It was the grade. The other teacher was emphasizing the effort. 
She kept stressing, I know you're not there yet, but look, you're getting, you're working harder and harder. What we have now discovered is perseverance first needs the right expectations. And too often we, we just stretch the kids so thin that we snap them. It's kind of like a rubber band. Your goal is to stretch the child from where they're at. Little teeny bit, little teeny bit, little bit without snapping them. Second thing is uh, that I love it is emphasize the kid's effort, not the end product so that they realize they've got the agency. It's just a matter of how hard I work. And the third thing that I love is that uh, many kids give up because they are overwhelmed with one mistake. So identify the kid's stumbler. It's not the whole project that's bumming you out. It's that one little thing right there. I, I had a teacher, Mr. White drove me crazy in piano because what he'd make me do was do the whole thing. But if I made one mistake, I'd have to start all over again and go over and over again. Well, I got to the point where my only thing I was worried about was the mistake and I hated piano. Then Miss, my mother got me Mrs. Thompson as my next music teacher. Thank heavens for Mrs. Thompson because she had a whole different philosophy. It was effort, Michelle. You just got to keep practicing. But she'd also identify my one little stumbler. What's the one little thing that's getting in your way? Oh, right there, that chord. Let's practice that over and over again. You got it, Michelle. Now start at the beginning. It's like a really good coach. They don't say give up on the soccer field. You're just never going to get this right. They show the kid the video and they say, it's your foot. Just throw your foot the other way. Now practice. Oh, you got it. You see? Identifying the one thing so they're not so overwhelmed. And that's what perseverance is all about. It's science-backed ways to stretch your child to be the best they can be without quitting and giving up. Well, and our schools certainly don't instill that in kids. I mean, it's all, to your point, it's all about the A. It's all about the grade. It's not about the effort. I say this all the time, you know, they, they give out awards for straight A students. I'm like, why not give out awards for kids who worked the hardest? Because yeah. they might not get A's, but they might have worked way harder than the kids who did get A's. But again, another conversation for another time. <laughs> um, I'll get off my soapbox now. Um, okay, number seven. I love this one. Optimism. Oh, I do too. I love it because it's exactly what everybody in the world needs right now, hope. Mm -hmm. Now, what they've discovered about this one is it's highly teachable. The danger is that the opposite of optimism is pessimism. And every kid, every teen in particular is going to have a bad day. So don't go thinking he's doomed. But the problem is when pessimism becomes pervasive or permanent, it erodes hope. And the best thing I ever learned on, on this one, there's so many strategies. But, you know, Betsy, I've had some extraordinary opportunities to work in really amazing places, working on army bases overseas uh, with Navy SEALs changed my life because the commander said you should go talk to them. We are rebuilding their whole, uh, can you imagine, their whole training. It's rewiring their brains and there's nobody who's getting through adversity like a Navy SEAL. The Navy SEAL said, yeah, there's a few things we're doing desperately, differently that you should teach kids because it is mind boggling. The first thing is they said, go back to that self-control, identify, help the kid identify their stress signs. We spend hours helping each other figure out what our stress signs are. And then the moment the stress sign comes, we come up with a phrase inside our head. When we feel it, I got this chill out or it's going to be okay. One thing, not a whole bunch, but one phrase. And then what we do is we take a one, two breath. 
It's the fastest way to relax. We take it deep from our abdomen, saying relax or chill out until like we're riding up an elevator, hold it at the top, then slowly let it out. He said the exhale must be twice as long as the inhale. If you do that, it's the fastest way to relax. It helps you get hope. And then what you do is you just form on through and keep going. The other thing I think that is really important, Betsy, uh, I talked to so many kids who said all we've been seeing is doom and gloom. We've been watching a daily death count for an entire year. That's all we do is turn it on and we go, what's the hope or what, why should we even bother? But there's some fascinating research on how to help your kid become more optimistic. And that is the images that our teens particularly see can either elevate their hope or increase their pessimism. So one of the things I'd suggest you do is go to the back page of newspapers or help your kids start looking for them. stories about kids who are extraordinary. And I'm not talking about Pulitzer Prize winning children or Nobel ones, but just kids who are doing amazing things. What you do is you cut out the story and you put it on the on an index card. or You use those for your family meals or have your kid do a good news search. Uh, there's a group of kids, for instance, a 10 year old and a 15 year old sister's in Philadelphia who are so tired of the bad news. What they decided to do, true story, is go back to their basement and every day video a good news report. And then they mm -hmm. gave it to their friends. What happens is their friends gave it to their parents and their parents said, can't those girls keep doing those reports? <laughs> well, they are. And they're, they're now reports are going viral. They happen to be good at videography. Find what your kid is good at. Other teens say they love tutoring. There's, there's tutors across the U.S. who are starting tutoring groups free for uh, preschools, for primary grades. They're going back to their elementary school teachers during Zoom and say, can I help you? Because they know that that's one of the best ways to reduce their stress and open up their hope. That kind of thing. I, there's so many glorious kids. and I, I think we're not looking at what kids are doing to just make a major difference in the world. It gives us hope that they are wonderful children out there. There sure are. I share stories on my Facebook, my high school hamster wheel Facebook page all the time. And my hashtag is teens will change the world. Oh yeah. Every yeah. time I find a story, I'm like, I just think there's so much good happening and parents are not parents, but a lot of adults are quick to say, Oh, those kids. Oh, that oh, generation. Man. They're lazy. They're entitled. I, I don't buy it. I think uh -uh. there's a lot of good happening and we need to focus on that. Yeah. They're more diverse. They're more open. They're more tolerant. Uh, we know they're more stressed, but mm -hmm. that's because in all fairness, they don't have the coping skills. Right. So what we just need to do is flip this because kids are hurting, but kids are the answer. And that's what we're looking for is a group of kids who can finally graduate across that stage. And we go, there goes that pandemic generation, a group of thrivers. Yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, this is so good. Okay. Before we go, what else? Is there anything I haven't asked you about or any other messages or thoughts for parents that we haven't covered? I, I think the only bottom line that I get, particularly from teens, is it ever too late. And no, it's never too late. Because if it was too late, the entire counseling industry would go out of business. It's not <laughs> too late. But what we've got to do is chunk this down. We're making it too hard for us. If you really want to help raise a goal, I mean, one kid told me this one. Again, it was a teen. He said, you know what? 
I learned it takes around 21 days for a new behavior. So why don't you just teach us one new behavior every 21 days, like 30 seconds at a shot, and keep helping us practice every day for about 30 days, 21 days, or however long it takes, and we'll get it. And that's exactly the, the, right, the right framework. Think big, but start small. Make sure you're doing science-backed evidence things because we don't have time to, to do this wrong. We've got one moment in parenting to get this right. And this has been an unprecedented time. But we now hit reset and go, here's the science-backed guide. Go into Thrivers, find one thing, one thing only, and keep doing the same thing over and over until you see your kid can do it without you, then add the next and the next. So much great advice. So I feel so hopeful and I, I just love that this is such a great resource for parents because I think we parents can use all the help we can get. Yeah. Um, and we're all doing the best we can. And people like you who who try and make our jobs easier <laughs> are so appreciated. The book is Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. Um, and Dr. Borba, by the way, has a whole bunch of books. So if you just Google her or, or look on Amazon, you'll find them all. But where can people find and follow you online? Website, social media? What's oh, the best thank place? you. Uh, well, first of all, I'm a 1L Michelle. So it's Michelle and my last name Borba rhymes with Zorba. So there's your little bo <laughs> MichelleBorba.com. My website's loaded with things, um, you know, free book club guides. Many parents, what they're doing is starting book clubs together. And that's the other thing I would strongly suggest, Betsy. You're not a lone parent. You're really not. You feel it. But just reach out and find one other like-minded parent. Join up together. There was a group of parents in Montreal. I said, how y'all doing? I mean, they look. I've never seen a group of parents come in looking so happy together. I went, wow, you guys all like each other. He says, yeah, because what we do is we have pods together. The moment our kids come into kindergarten, we start a... Uh, a, a parent pod of about eight parents. And you know what? Our kids are all graduating now, but we're still liking each other. We started out with coffees. Now we're doing wine and cheeses and we're raising <laughs> our kids together. And that's what we need. It's too lonely if we don't. I love that. Yeah, I do too. Um, anywhere else, social media, Facebook? Oh, yeah. Insta? My Twitter is at Michelle Borba. Instagram is Dr. Michelle Borba. Uh, I know I'm on LinkedIn. I know I'm on Facebook. <laughs> it's, like, it's just, uh, you know, just find what is your avenue and just connect. And I think that's, that's what it's all about, Betsy. Make it simple. Yeah. Okay. I will put all these links in the Aww. show notes. And thank you so, so much for being here. This has been helpful for me and I know will resonate with so many listeners. And I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been, I, I loved every minute. I am a huge fan of Michelle Borba and her work. She brings so much experience, knowledge, and insight to the conversation in a no-nonsense way. Her energy and passion for helping young people thrive are contagious, and I'll definitely be implementing a lot of what I learned from her. Some of my key takeaways from our conversation are, number one, there's a big difference between striving and thriving. Fortunately, though, we can help our kids make that important transition. Number two, empathy comes from connecting with others. It's been a long and isolating year or two, so our teens have had to make connections through a screen. I'm hopeful that as our world gets back to more face-to-face -face interaction, that our teens and young adults will be able to strengthen their connections and relationships. And speaking of hope, number three, 
optimism is highly teachable. So if your teen or young adult is struggling to find the positive in their current situation or in relation to their plans for the future, check out Michelle's book for tips to help them become more optimistic. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm super grateful that you're listening, and I'd really appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback and would love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. All links and references mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 86. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.